It's time for the Zookeeper Roadmap Podcast, where Joseph and Sheldon teach you everything they're learning on becoming zookeepers and answer any questions any future zookeepers or marine mammal trainers have. And now, here are your hosts, Joseph and Sheldon. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Zookeeper Roadmap Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph. And I'm Sheldon. And today we are going to talk about animal behavior. And then we have a special guest on later that will tell us about how he got into the zookeeping field and his experiences and his advice to future zookeepers. Whoop, whoop. So let's buckle up. It's time for the Zookeeper Roadmap Podcast. So, animal behavior. What to look out for. Um, Sheldon, do you want to start us off in our discussion here about animal behavior? Sure. So yeah, we are discussing animal behavior, training and all that, what to look for and um, what things to expect. So many of you who obviously been to the zoos, aquariums, SeaWorld, you know about behaviors, um, you know about what different animals can do, stuff like that. Um, today we're going to dive more into like what to look for, like as you are becoming a, a keeper or a trainer, things to look for in your animal behavior. So obviously... Rule number one is relationship. You've heard it once, you heard it twice, you're probably going to hear it a thousand more times. Um, relationship building is probably the biggest thing with behaviors. Um, when asking behaviors, obviously having that strong relationship with any animal, um, any species, is crucial. Um, so basically, when you start your training or start working with animals, you are obviously tempted, and I'm guilty of this, for asking for the really cool behaviors right at the bat. And that's tempting. I totally, totally get it. Totally get it. Um, big thing you want to keep in mind is just keeping things very simple, especially for animals who are very smart and like to test you. <laughs> We've all been there, done that. But keeping things simple, um, knowing what to look for, obviously... You don't want to reinforce a bad behavior. Your reinforcement is part of that. And then also you need to understand what's the conclusion. What do you want from this behavior? What are you trying to get out of it? Are you trying to get a reaction? Are you trying to get the animal to do something for you? Are you asking them to do something to make their lives easier for medical? So there's a lot of different things and behaviors and different situations. Different people will do different things. Everybody's different opinions on it. But we're definitely going to dive a little bit deeper into which um, person animal works with behaviors and how we shape them, how we make them a lot better, and how we work through them or learn different things. Because it's a learning process. Many of y'all know that. Shoot. I feel like I'm going to be talking to um, myself on this one because, heck, everybody knows about behaviors and training who does anything with animals or is looking to be a zookeeper. You've heard all this stuff before. But if you have never heard what I'm talking about, um, pay attention. This is something really cool. 
So for starters, I'll use my examples as a newer keeper in the field, because I'm still very new. Um, when I'm looking for behaviors, one thing I was taught is eye contact. A very simple behavior with animals is eye contact and attention. Uh, you want to make sure you have the animal's focus. Um, you don't have good eye contact, good coordination, good chance things might not go well. Uh, it could be tricky. Some animals, the eyes are located in different areas. Some don't like to look in the eye. Some can just choose to look at you, test you. Again, we'll get to that a little bit more. <laughs> uh, but I definitely say eye contact is a good starter um, when it comes to that training. That's one of the first things I learned was eye contact, having the animal's attention, making sure that they're focused on you. Next step in your stylistic behaviors is just start simple, like targets. Everybody knows about targets. If you don't know, target training is a very important, very useful tool when asking for different behaviors, some many different species, have them touch targets. Um, that target could be your hand, a pole. It could be something totally different. And then reinforcement. So a lot of you know, or do not know, that reinforcement is a critical thing when doing behaviors in relationship building. So, for example, me working with hippos, our hippos, they love to eat and they love some tactile reinforcements, which means they like to have uh, different scratches and pets on their faces. They also like a lot of food. Um, they love playing with the water hoses. So various things in the, in the reinforcement helps build that relationship and building that trust. Um, every animal is different. A lot of you guys know that. So building different bonds and relationships helps you out and the animals out working together. And just remember, patience is a virtue. Um, each animal is going to be extremely different. Um, a lot of animals require a lot of patience, time, and trust when just building simple relationship building and trust and behaviors. So patience is very key if you are a new keeper. Try not to rush things. Take your time. You know, work through stuff. Have a plan in mind. And don't be afraid to try, you know, new things when you're ready. But Patience definitely is a good way to kind of also look at all of this. Um, it's going to be a lot to talk about, but I'm just highlighting a few important things from going to scenarios. But I'll let Joseph jump in and add a few more things to this. There's definitely lots to say. So as Sheldon was talking about uh, things to look out for and some things not to reinforce, uh, one thing I would say to add into that is if an animal is chewing on shoelaces, do not reinforce that. Never, ever reinforce an animal chewing on shoelaces. That would be a crucial mistake to reinforce. So do not reinforce an animal chewing on any article of clothing. Um, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's a really good point about not reinforcing unwanted behaviors. Um, chewing on clothing, mounting on bars um hitting things you know um throwing stuff anything you don't want um you definitely don't want to reinforce um also knowing when to reinforce and when not to reinforce too much or too little 
Um, sometimes you want to get the big reinforcement for big things and obviously smaller things for small stuff. It's nothing wrong with mixing it up too. Um, I've done this tactic myself where sometimes I ask the animals for a very simple behavior and if it, they do it really well, I will heavily reinforce it. Um, sometimes I'll just mix it up and do something small at first and maybe something larger. Um, again, everyone's different, every animal's different. Some animals prefer a lot more reinforcement, some prefer a lot more tactile or more play things. Um, it just depends. That's also about getting to know your animal and knowing you. Um, you as a keeper have to learn what works for you and what works for animals. And you always have to adjust yourself to different species. Shoot. Um, you work in the field, you probably will have a good chance of working with various different species who have very different ways. They like reinforcements or like things done. Or if you work with one single species, each animal individual is going to be very different. Nothing wrong with, you know, adjusting yourself, making things work. Um, but always keeping things positive. As you guys know, positive reinforcement often finishing. You want to end on a good note every time, mixing up your sessions. Sometimes your sessions can be long, sometimes short. You can always mix up with different things. Um, I myself have done sessions that can last sometimes 20 minutes. I'm asking for one single behavior or multiple things. Um, relationship sessions, I'm just hanging out, having a good time with the animals. That's fun, playtime sessions. There's many different sessions you and I, all of us probably already know about. I kind of uh, also want to add. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, even when cleaning the animal's environment, you want to also end on a positive, positive note too. So if, mm -hmm. if the animal is snacking on his, his or her favorite food, and that animal is not seeing in like not uh seeing very well out of their eyes hey you'll want to make sure that you're giving that animal the reinforcement they want when they're calm and not ready to strike at you or well not ready to like go after you for Cleaning their habitat. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. Uh, I mean, if you're just cleaning, you know, behaviors are happening all the time. Um, those animals try to get your attention by doing stuff, making noise or banging on stuff to get your attention while cleaning. Or like you said, the chewing on the shoes. You definitely want to end on a good note. Again, that's all about reinforcing behaviors you want, you don't want. Um, especially when it comes to safety, I mean... Shoot, great example. You don't want, say, an animal trying to bite you and you're trying to do, like, a really important vet procedure or something like that. That's totally a really good example. I'm also thinking about when you're doing behaviors, why are you doing a behavior and why you want to make sure it's done correctly. Um, that could be some things like blood draws. Most animals you work with are going to require some vet care and blood draws are important. Making sure an animal is holding nice and still is really important with a lot of things, and they're nice and calm. Um, you don't want any um, situations. You don't want to endanger the animal, the vet, yourself. You want to keep that bond nice and strong. But even simply having your animal just practice holding still, you may think it's simple and necessary, but it might really help in the future. 
Holding still teaches them that if I'm nice and calm, I get reinforcement. It makes the job a heck of a lot easier. So I would like to say simple things in mind about your behaviors are really crucial. Like just simply making sure they're staying with you, having eye contact, not being distracted, um, holding still, being calm, or having energy when needed. That just really helps you out, um, especially when you're reading a new animal and learning how they react. If you tell the animals with you or not with you or is about to split. Um, splitting is one thing I have learned a lot and many of you guys in the field have or will learn. When an animal splits on you, if you don't know, it means that they kind of walk away from you and do their own thing. And that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, that's part of the opera conditioning effective contact. Um, I do and a lot of facilities will do. Whether the animals choose, they want to stay with you or not. Um, I've had my animals at my facility split on me all the time. It happens. Uh, most of the time it's for things like food or maybe there's something reproductive going on and animals are interested in opposite genders. It could be some loud noises or they just like, you know what? I'm not feeling it. And that's okay. Um, sometimes the animals will make you frustrated. Sometimes they will totally challenge you or heck, make you wait longer than expected. Uh, the big thing is Patience, like I said, not losing the temper for sure. You don't want to do that. And well, you definitely want to just work through it. Always have a plan and don't be afraid to take criticism on behaviors. Um, me and my keepers, coworkers, we all watch each other in sessions. We see how we do our behaviors and we always be like, hey, that was great. Or hey, why'd you do it this way? Or, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this way. Let's talk about it so you can do better, or this didn't go well. Let's talk about how you can make it better, you know. So criticism isn't is actually a pretty good thing. Like learning from each other is important. And every single day we are all learning something new. That's just part of the field, part of the life. Even if it's something very simple. Learning some new perspective, new eyes. Um, that's a really good and key thing is keeping an open mind when you are doing your training with any animal you work with is listen to your you know, co-workers, peers, your leadership, your trainers, uh, especially if they've worked with the animal and they know what to look for, they know how to help you succeed. You know, sometimes you might feel like they're bashing or saying you're not doing your job. Total opposite. Most of the time they're just trying to help you and make sure, you know, you succeed in the end because when you're doing it, you know, on your own or with a spot or something, you need to be ready for um, certain behaviors, certain things to look for because, like I said, smart animals, they test you. They will test you They'll try to get away with things, do different stuff, especially if they know what to do. I'm sure a lot of you who have worked with primates or elephants, anything intelligent, any intelligent animal will test you. Birds, they will do stuff that they know they're not supposed to do, but that's just part of your training. <laughs> um, Yesterday, I kind of had training. some birds trying to test me yeah, <laughs> and, trying to do, and trying to see if they could take my hat mm. yeah that's a good way of testing you or see what you can do reactions let's just say i outsmarted the uh hornbills and toucan oh tell us about that you can go into detail so i was cleaning out i was cleaning the uh hornbill exhibit and 
where I volunteer at, and they were trying to take my hat, and what I did was just do my job, clean the clean their enclosure, and then I finished and left them alone, and then the toucan, he was trying to watch every move I made. So every time I had my back to him, I had to remember, okay, I need to make sure I have my eyes on him and where his position is. Oh, yeah, good point. Like so keeping eyes on eye contact. And again, smart animals, toucans, any smart creatures, they're going to test you. They're going to, you know, that's what you, sometimes they just want to legit play and have a good time, you know. But yes, there are some that'll definitely challenge you and, you know, bring out the worst in you. <laughs> now, toucan behavior. I'm not sure if you know what toucan behavior is, but maybe you could help me understand toucan behavior. Um, what Like, how can you tell when a toucan wants to play with uh, your hat, for example? Was that a good question? Or... <laughs> <I'm sorry>. Yes. <laughs> uh, how... Okay, good question. How so can you tell? That is a very good question. So, I'll be honest, I am no toucan expert. I have never really worked with any of them, much less birds. Uh, but definitely an easy advice for that is knowing your toucan, knowing what's aggressive behavior, what is desirable behavior, like non-aggression, what's playful behavior. And once you know your toucan or toucans or birds, you'll know like this is being them being playful. This is them not being playful. Um, you'll read them like said, animals behaviors, they can change like a light bulb, but most of the time you'll see like aggression or someone being nice and calm. Uh, it, it just depends on what's going on. So for you, I would say um, definitely talk to your um, other um, workers and volunteers that have worked with the, with the toucan. Uh, and see if they have the same reaction. Uh, sometimes some animals will do certain things to only certain people. And again, that's all relationship building. So the more time you spend the toucan, the more you'll be able to read what is aggression, what is then just being them yeah yeah i was just kind of yeah. curious because when he was trying to grab my hat he would open his mouth and try to go for my hat yeah well let's also remember about animal behavior um knowing that toucans they have a very long bill that helps them grab um fruit um, small creatures and animals and they are naturally curious animals. They investigate everything with their beak. So um, humans, us, you know, we have hands. We investigate things. We take our hands. We grab stuff that feel the texture, feel it's hot or cold. And, of course, babies will take things and put stuff in their mouth to figure out what it is. So I've heard a lot of um, stories from bird um, bird keepers that parrots and other smart, intelligent birds are kind of like having kids or toddlers. They have to put their mouth on things to investigate and they'll copy imitate a lot of things. So that could be just the parrot investigating, or maybe just really like sats, or maybe just want to see, you know, see what you're gonna do, get a reaction out of you. Uh, that's just 
couple different things, but again, I am not a 2 can expert, <laughs> but we're all still learning. So that's something, or if you guys might know, you're welcome to put in the comments what you might have an idea what's going on with this 2 can situation. That would be pretty cool, but I would definitely say that's probably just the 2 can maybe being curious or maybe just seeing who you are. That Good is question. true. I mean, and it's hard to tell, especially when you meet new animals. You have to get to know them. It's like getting to know a new person. So sometimes you have to know what behaviors they do a lot or what things they do. And sometimes they just do totally new behaviors you don't know about. Um, that's just part of our learning process. <laughs> I mean, shoot. I mean, I've been um, working for British Gardens for about five months now, working with my various animals. I'm still learning new behaviors as I spend more time with each animal. Um, it's just something that comes with the territory. You, you know, once you learn a new animal, you learn what they do. You have it takes a while to see things. Like, for example, the hippos. Um, they're all very different, very smart, but they act differently at certain times. Sometimes when there's um, a lot of breeding behavior, or when a male's interested in the females, I may have known what he normally does, but he'll act very differently than what he would normally do. Or Females might act differently. It really just depends, really. But, right. You know, and, like I said, every person is different. And now that I've been at Nurtured by Nature for three months, I'm learning different animals. All right, all right. And as you spend more time, years, you really start to develop a relationship and you really know what's going on and like i said these things just take time it's like getting to know a new person like getting to know a new coworker, a new neighbor you eventually know what they like and what they don't like and you know how they act in certain situations and again things change another big thing is if the animal is social or not if you have social groups of animals So yeah, like I was saying, when you have different animals, especially social animals, um, if there's social group changes, again, their behavior is going to change I'm around you, about each other, other animals, new environments. Um, so there's lots of things, like I said, we are kind of rambling a bit, but a lot of things to think about when you're thinking of animal behavior. Um, it's not just asking, say, an animal to do a really cool jump or, you know, present its body in a cool way. It's also about thinking about what the animal is going to do, what's going to be best for it, how to help take care of it, you know. How to just make things a lot better and more exciting. I mean, for any animal, learning behaviors and viewing behaviors can be fun and exciting. It's rewarding as a new keeper trainer when you start doing behaviors or asking for new things. But also to remember that keeping things simple and knowing um, how things are going to be and what you're going to do in the future and how you're going to help the animal out is important when you are working new behaviors and learning how to help these animals have better lives and keep them what's the word I'm looking for here keep their um, husbandry up keep them stimulated there's the word <laughs> and just various things of that matter but like I said once again too, there's so many cool things you can do um, again, you learn so many behaviors and, you know, you learn how the behaviors are and, you know, just makes things overall better and more exciting for yourself. And keeps things fun and energetic. <laughs> yeah.
Sounds like fun. Oh, it is. It is. Like, every day should be fun. Like, even if you think it's stressful, you have a bad day. And the positive note, have some fun with it. Because in the end, you're working with a cool animal, whatever species that could be. That's still pretty fun. <laughs> right. And I don't know if I told our viewers. Uh, have I told our viewers about um, how I went from all the animals I started with at Nurtured by Nature to the animals I'm with now? No, but you can elaborate. That is totally okay. So I started at Nurtured by Nature back in June. So it's been three months. Um, and I'm probably going to start a list on my phone now <laughs> as we go on or as I continue um at nurtured by nature uh so when I started out at nurtured by nature I was starting I started with kangaroos pacas a east african crown crane uh three types of armadillos and now I have uh been moved up to helping care for Fennec foxes, a uh, a African porcupine, toucan, uh, hornbills. Let's see, an owl. So, the more I learn, oh yeah, sugar gliders, sloths. Hedgehogs. So the more I learn, the more I'm also picking up on behavior and what also to be cautious with. <laughs> so I'm also watching one sloth in particular because as I saw yesterday with his behavior, he likes to try to make a fast escape. <laughs> so as I was cleaning his particular bedroom out, uh, as soon as I turned on the water, he heard that and he tried to bolt for the door. <laughs> so that's something to also watch out for. Animals that are ready to get you running. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Again, that's all about relationship building and just knowing the animal and knowing what to expect and not to expect. And also make sure that you have your phone on. Your phone on and make sure you're not paying attention to your phone. Well, yeah, that's what I said about like, you know, the focus on our contact. You definitely want to break that because, you know, some animals don't appreciate that. Exactly. People will not appreciate that. And that's just something good to practice. Um, especially when you have, you know, you're talking to someone, you always have eye contact in a conversation, or if you listen to someone, you know, that's just a respectful thing, but folks out with animal training for sure. Uh what else do we want to add about animal behavior? Um I mean, I think we covered mostly everything. And again, Everyone's going to have a different experience, but as you go on, just keep things in mind. 
always look for different things the animals are going to do, body movements, eye contact, patience. I would definitely say it's something you want to take away from this because it does require a lot of patience. But like I said, have fun, reinforce things you want, and move on to things you do not want in certain behaviors. And don't be afraid to try totally new things to make the behavior more successful. The more successful you are, the bad relationship and the bonds can be between you and the animals for sure. Um, and like I said, that's going to take you far. And definitely one last thing I'll mention is, you know, have a plan and don't be afraid to ask for help or get some criticism, constructive criticism, excuse me, because that's going to make you a much more better, you know, keeper, team player, uh, because you are going to be on a team. There is no I in team. But, you know, it's just another thing about it, for sure. That's, you know, so I think that's all I'm going to add for now. <laughs> right. And I've also been learning about how to handle certain situations and call for backup. Oh, yes. If you need help, call for backup, especially when you have bigger things. You know, don't forget to handle things on your own. If you need help, ask for help. And that could be for anybody. Especially if you aren't trained on handling some of the animals. Yes, for sure. If you are not trained, common sense is don't try to be don't try to do it yourself don't try to be a hero especially Call for a lot for of animals yes <laughs> i would hope you wouldn't be trying to do things on your own anyway nope that the would only, not be a good idea the only things i would probably do on my own is clean the habitats feed the animals check make sure they're doing well and if they're not doing well i'll text the group or if I see anything well, off with their behavior. Well, yeah. Well, text, call, radio, whatever way of contact. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, <laughs> have your backup plan or maybe whatever helps you out. Um, and contact for sure. Yes. Always for have sure. a running list of who you're gonna contact first. Mm-hmm. But yes. Ooh, yes. Uh anyways, on to our unless we have anything else to cover. <laughs> no, I think it is time to start introducing our special guest and a special interview, I believe, that Mr. Joseph took care of. So I'll let him talk about that and introduce them. Look at that scenario. Joseph, take it away for there. So, on to our special guest from the Abilene Zoo in Texas. We are proud to have Mr. Clay Carbajal on. So, take it away, Clay and Joseph, with your interview. The recording. So, good afternoon, Clay, and welcome to the Zookeeper Roadmap Podcast. How's everything with, going with you? I'm on the Zookeeper Roadmap map Podcast? Yep. Oh, I thought this was the Today Show. <laughs> oh, I'm doing great. I'm just kidding, Joseph. I'm happy to be here, happy to be on the Zookeeper Roadmap Podcast, uh, and I hope that we get to maybe inspire someone or help someone find their path into the world we call the zoological field. Yes. That is the mission. <laughs> so, uh, 
how did your journey start into zookeeping and uh, where did it start? Good question. Uh, my journey, I think, will be like most. Uh, I think at some point, each person that wants to work in the zoo world was inspired by something. They saw something. They watched something up close. They heard something. And it sparked some kind of inspiration at a young age. For me, it was very simple. It was the killer whale shows. Notice I said killer whale, not a worker. Whoops. Killer whale shows at SeaWorld San Antonio. Uh, and that was amazing. The relationship between one of the largest predators in the ocean and a person. I was blown away. I wanted to be them. I wanted to zip up the wetsuit. I wanted to wear the whistle. I wanted to do everything about it. And that was at age seven, Joseph, that I decided that was going to be my life. Um, I never let it go. You know, some kids want to be an astronaut. Some kids want to be a police officer. And as you get older, you become a lawyer, an accountant, and, you know, life moves on. But I never let it go. And at age 15, going into 16, uh, I needed a summer job. And I went to SeaWorld San Antonio. And this is how old I am. They didn't have online job applications. So you went to the bulletin board in the HR office and you looked at the, the postings. And you went, oh, that one. And there was a posting that said, show post. And I went, whoa, I'm 15, going to be 16 soon. I could host my own show at SeaWorld. This is amazing. I'm going to be a show host. So I applied. There's not even an audition. And I get hired. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm getting my own show. I told my mom I was getting my own show. I told my family I was getting my own show. Come to find out that a show host is not a host of a show. You seat people. You clean trash. You scrub things. You work inside of you know, Orca Stadium or Dolphin Stadium or Sea Lion Stadium. And you clean up after the show. That was the first six months of of my SeaWorld career because I thought I was getting my own show. Oh, man. Um, at the same time I was doing the show hosting gig, I was also working for a company called Pony Parties by Don, where I would take livestock essentially to birthday parties and things and introduce kids to goats and pigs and donkeys. So I was gaining animal experience at a very young age. Um, I, then, uh, I then decided, you know, maybe the show host thing isn't what my career I wanted to look like at SeaWorld. So I applied to the education department. Now, back in those days, you didn't have to be 18 to work in the education department. So I was able to get that position at 16 years old. And uh, I worked in the education department for two and a half years. But the, the, the animal bug had bit me a long time ago. I had to fulfill that dream. But in those three, you know, three years or so from education and, and, and park operations, which I was in, I learned something. And this is something that I think everyone on the road to becoming a zookeeper should keep in mind. A lot of you that listen to this podcast <clears throat> or are seeking advice, you're pretty dead set on the species you want to work with. It's okay. It's dolphins. It's killer whales. It's elephants. It's primates. It's big cats. You focus on a species so much that you begin to obsess about the species. You try to learn everything you can at your local zoo about that individual group or uh, pod or pack or herd of animals because it is your is your goal to work with them. Here's some advice from a guy who's been in the game about 20 years now. Don't. Take every species at the facility 
into account. Take every opportunity you can at the goal facilities or goal cities you have into account. If you just want to work in the state of North Carolina or California or Texas or Florida, pick a zoo there that has a position where you can gain experience. So what if you are obsessed about rhinos and you don't get the rhino job, you have to work with penguins, gain the experience. The reason I say that is I was obsessed with killer whales. I was obsessed. When I got the show host job in park operations, they put me at Shamu. It was called Shamu Stadium then. I know it's changed now, but it was Shamu Stadium. And I got to watch every killer whale show day in, day out. Shamu Rocks, Shamu Rocks, Texas. You know, One Ocean, Believe was still going on at that point. Um, so I got to see all this stuff. Uh, even before Believe, the show right before Believe, which I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, and this was all fantastic, but what was happening around me was there were other departments, Joseph, that offered an amazing career with animals. So once my time in education was winding down, I wanted to take that next step. You know, I'm 18 now. I want to take that step into the animal world. I'm going to college. Of course, I'm doing what everyone said to do, biology, psychology. I was a psych uh, a psych minor with a mass communications background uh, focus in, in university level. I saw a position on a team called the Animal Ambassador Team. Now, granted, this position was $4 less than I was making as an educator. That's a big pay cut. I'm trying to pay for college. I decided for the benefit of my dream to go from giving tours and camps and sleepovers to picking up python poop and scraping up lemur poop and doing whatever the senior animal ambassadors needed me to do. And it was originally pitched that it would only be a three month job and then my season would be over. My career at SeaWorld would be over until something else opened up. So I agreed to leave a year round educator position for a chance to scratch the animal itch that I had. And I think a lot of people that listen to your podcast are probably like that. They're having to take leaps of faith. I don't envy being a young person on the roadmap to the zoo world today. It's highly competitive. It's a lot of experience. It's, do you have a degree? Do you have experience? What's your public speaking like? Where are you trying to move to? What, everything, everything is involved in that. Um, it wasn't like that when I got in. I got in as an animal ambassador, three, uh, sorry, husbandry assistant, Three. If you look at SeaWorld San Antonio or uh, any of the SeaWorld parks today, now they just have husbandry assistants and then the full-timers. We were so down the totem pole, I was the third level down from the current husbandry assistant position. Like, it was rough. Um, at the end of the three months, uh, Joseph, it, it came time to make a decision. And the decision was I was going to have to do something else from uh, October or September all the way till next May, because that's when SeaWorld said I could come back, was the following May of 2008, I believe. And this was 2007. <clears throat> I, uh, they were rehearsing a show called Creepy Creatures. It was going to be a show that featured the animal ambassadors inside the 4D theater when they used to have those. And uh, I was like, oh, I want to learn the show. Can I host the show? I wanted to be a show host. Can I host the show? No, you're, you're an HA3. It's not happening for you today. Okay. I want to host the show. No. Okay. I worked hard. I worked hard. I worked hard. And one day as a reinforcer, 
uh, my leadership let me go watch a rehearsal. And I'm in the audience mouthing the lines because I learned the script. You know, I saw one laying on the counter, I learned the script, and I'm mouthing the line. And the guy who was hosting the show on our team, his name was Robert Trejo. He runs, now runs an animal out, outreach in San Antonio called Zoo Imagination, fantastic organization, it's a nonprofit. Um, they rescue and rehabilitate exotic animals. Anyway, Robert, uh, he wasn't getting the show. He, he wasn't really picking up what they were trying to do as far as like a, a character. So he said, do you mind if I sit out and let Clay run lines so I can kind of sit back and watch, maybe get some ideas on how I want to play this character? And they agreed. And of course, I'm jumping out of my seat. Yes, it was a, a middle of the afternoon rehearsal with no animals, no audience, nothing, just a tech rehearsal. So I get up there and I do the show. And when, the, when that rehearsal ended, the entertainment team huddled. And then the next day, I found out that my season was being extended and I was going to become the host of that show. And that Robert, who is now my brother, he's my brother from another mother, dear friend. Robert made the suggestion that he should not be hosting the show, that it should be me. And that's the next lesson I want to teach you guys on the road to becoming a zookeeper. It doesn't have to be competitive. You can help each other excel and succeed and take care of one another. Robert was already in the business about, you know, 25 years at that point, 21 years, whatever it was. Robert said, I understand that in clay, there's something better at this particular point than me. And he uplifted me and he vouched for me and he fought for me and he defended his reasoning. And the people of power took that experienced person's knowledge and was like, we agree. He gave me that shot. And from that three month extension on for the next seven, you know, for the next chunk of time, I spent, I spent nearly uh, 18 years at SeaWorld San Antonio and it all started with that one extension. Had Robert not said anything, my season was up a week later. I was done. So that's how I got started in the animal world. It was an act of kindness. It was persistence. It was hard work. And it was also opportunistic. That sounds amazing. And a lot of hard work that went into it. Um, so. After SeaWorld, uh, what did you end up doing? Because I know that must have been a hard decision. Yeah, so I mean, I was on that animal ambassador team for nine years. And then SeaWorld San Antonio was opening Discovery Point, which is a dolphin interaction center, um, equivalent to Discovery Cove in Orlando. is just included in the park. I left the animal ambassador team and for the first time dipped my toe, for lack of a better word into the marine mammal world. I was doing things backwards. You know, everyone usually, uh, they kind of, they, they go somewhere and that's, that, that's the trajectory. But midway through my career, I shifted gears and became a marine mammal person. And uh, I was on the team that opened Discovery Point, helped train those dolphins for that program, which was terrific. Uh, then I got some wild hair and decided I wanted to try marketing. I did that at SeaWorld San Antonio as the social media manager for six months. Wasn't my cup of tea then. Uh, I didn't like being in an office. So I was able to go back to education for about six months until a position reopened in the animal training department. And I rejoined And my final three years at SeaWorld San Antonio were on the sea lion uh, show team, stadium team and doing sea lion high and sea lions tonight. I have not done the new one that I know Orlando just debuted and San Antonio debuted. I've never been in that show, but uh, my last shows were 
Clyde and Seymour's Countdown to Christmas or uh, Sea Lion Tonight and Sea Lion High. Um, I was getting older. I have three kids now. Um, met my wife at SeaWorld, you know, what kind of a SeaWorld story. Um, and the, the time started changing for me. And I felt like it was time to evolve. Joseph, have you ever watched Seinfeld? I have not, but I'm sure my viewers have probably watched it. I take a lot of lessons from the end of Seinfeld. When Seinfeld, the sitcom, went off the air in the mid-90s, it was the number one rated show on television. How many times in, in the world do you see something go too long? And you're like, oh, that's just, he's still doing that? Oh, my gosh. So I wanted to go out on uh, a high note. I wanted to. I wanted my SeaWorld career to end when I was still firing on all cylinders. And I wanted it to end at a point where I could pivot that experience into something else. Um, and for those of you on the roadmap to becoming a zookeeper or a marine mammal trainer or a conservationist, um, there's as you age in this in this business, you you either become part of the leadership or you become part of the experienced training team that teaches the next generation. But you have to make a transition from the hungry young keeper or trainer or uh, specialist to the person who's then leading the next generation. And you're not even going to know what happens to you, but it just does. And an opportunity presented itself. I started a YouTube series during my time at SeaWorld on my own because I love animals uh, called The Wild Side with Clay. And that's a show where I go around and conservation projects and zoos. And I talk about species and introduce you to species, uh, paying homage to my hero, uh, one of my heroes, Jungle Jack Hanna, who I had the privilege of working with many, many times. Um, it was a it was kind of my nod to his era of animal education. And I still do it to this day. But in that point, the Abilene Zoo in Abilene, Texas, uh, was doing an event, which they, funny enough, called Wild Days, which is the same uh, name of the event at SeaWorld that ran for many years before that event retired. And uh, the Abilene Zoo asked the wild side to come up and do a live version of my YouTube show. First time I've done that, I could do that. I got my friend Robert, the guy who gave me the first push in Creepy Creatures, his animal outreach company to help support. And we did a show, 10 days worth of wild days. And a typical spring break here in Abilene, at the Abilene Zoo, they would get about 8,000 visitors in 10 days. That's not a lot, it's a small city. When the Wild Side Live came to town, the crowds grew to about 21,000 people in that nine day period, the 10 day period. So people liked it. Uh, when the show concluded, there was some discussion on, do you think, do you think you'd give a, give a thought to moving? And all I said was, if the right opportunity showed itself, you know, I would, I would consider it. Months passed, Joseph. I was doing sea lion shows. I was just fine. But I could tell, you know, I had torn my shoulder. I could tell that it was time that I had to start looking at some other avenues. Uh, because I couldn't do some, some of this stuff forever. And the Abilene Zoo had a position that opened that was the supervisor of the marketing and conservation departments. And they had a position open that was a manager of the education department. My wife was unemployed, laid off from SeaWorld because of COVID cuts. And uh, she was spinning her wheels at a bank. And I saw an opportunity, Joseph, to better our position and to get my help my wife get back in the zoo world. And we applied for these, these positions in Abilene. And by golly, we both succeeded. That all those years of experience training people and animals and interacting with the public at SeaWorld and doing YouTube on my own um, paid off. 
I moved to the Abilene Zoo as the supervisor of, it's going to sound kind of crazy, but I supervise the entire social media department, marketing, public relations, public relations, uh, conservation fund, and the animal ambassador team. They all report to me. My wife uh, has the camps, the tours, uh, uh, programs, the education department. Uh, they report to her. And together, that's how we operate here in Abilene. So my zookeeping life then evolves into something new. I have these marketing responsibilities and public relations responsibilities, but I still get to go train the bird of prey or talk about the care of the snake or help people learn how to pick up the alligator. I help to evolve this team uh, into some new species that I've always wanted to try. And because I come with this experience that SeaWorld gifted me for so many years, uh, we get some opportunities that they weren't getting before. For instance, for the first time in Abilene Zoo history, we took our animals on the road and not just one overnight. We were gone for 20 days with animals in, in back in San Antonio at the San Antonio uh, Stock Show where we exhibited uh, our species, talked about our conservation and our small nonprofit zoo. We were invited to do that. Uh, we've been invited to other zoos around the nation as a featured traveling act. And if not act, I should say, but a featured traveling uh, speaking demonstration on animals and conservation. And if you notice, it's mimicking the footsteps of my hero, Jungle Jack Hanna. I just didn't anticipate it to do that. Uh, and I'm honored to be going out and speaking about animals and conservation and taking these animals on the road and highlighting this fantastic facility, which is in, in the midst of an evolution, as it were. Hey, you might be the next Jack Hanna. You know, I've heard that before. I don't want to be the next Jack Hanna. I think that can stay. I just want to be the first Clay. That's it. Well, hey, if I ever get <laughs> high up in the ranks at the zoos I'm trying to get into, I'll definitely invite you. Oh, I'd love to come speak. And we do a lot of speaking engagements now. Um, I will say that uh, it is an amazing thing to see individuals like yourself who have been kind of in this since you were a, a teenager and you're still out there uh, gaining the experience, taking all the steps we've told you to take. And I think it's paying off and it's a frustrating track. Wouldn't you say, Joseph? It's, it's hard some days, right? Oh, yeah. And especially with my current work situation because I'm a supervisor at work. So I'm managing not only people, but I'm also taking care of animals. So I'm like yeah. juggling both. Yeah, that can be difficult. Um, and that's kind of the joys that I, I have now is I have a, a team of uh, five wonderful people uh, that I work very closely with. And for me, uh, family time is the most important thing. Uh, for your work-life balance. So if you need a day off, you take the day off. If you, if you need something, I'm here to help fill. Um, just last night, one of our supervisors here at the zoo, he's been working really hard. Uh, we've been taking a baby flamingo home that needs to be hand-raised and he's been taking it home every night. And I could tell he was getting tired. And I said, I'll take him. I'll take the baby home. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it tonight for you. And that worked. He got a good night's rest and I had a screaming baby flamingo in my house all night. <laughs> What's been your favorite animal to work with? Oh man. On my phone, I keep a species list of everything I've worked with. And right now we are at 135 species that I've worked with. 
and behaviorally modified and cared for on a daily basis. Not the ones I've interacted with, that's cheating, but the ones that I've actually physically been responsible for. And of that 135, oh, it's so hard. Uh, Southern ground hornbills uh, have always been just a fantastic bird to work with. Uh, if you look in my office right up there, there's a picture right there of me and an umbrella cockatoo uh, that SeaWorld used as a promotional item for a long time. That bird's name is Susie. And she is by far my favorite animal of all time. I could probably still walk up to Susie at SeaWorld San Antonio and she would pick me over everybody else. Like that's the relationship I feel like we have. Um, and I didn't expect that. You know, you go back to that seven-year-old on the wall should be a picture of me and a killer whale. I've never actually worked with them at this point. Uh, I did shows around them, but I never worked in the area. They're not on my 135 species list, um, which goes to show you how you're, you're, you could evolve in the industry a bit. Yeah, it's funny how things have a way of working out and all that, because um, when I was five years old, I wanted to work at SeaWorld and uh, try to get to kill whales, and now I'm helping care for kangaroos, pacas, East African crown cranes, uh, capybaras, and now they've advanced me to go to uh, African crested porcupine, mm -hmm. two-toed sloths, and I'm finding out that these other animals, since they're the next level, there is more of a danger. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready for that. Yeah, that's good leadership that's pushing you that way. And I think you're finding a better uh, respect for the species, too, that you're working with. You're like, oh, these are kind of cool. I kind of like this. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I never thought I'd be um, so interested in East African crown cranes. <laughs> I had a yeah. jump on my back. We used to have them at SeaWorld San Antonio. We flew them around Ski Lake um, before San Diego opened Blue Horizons. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so we sent our crown cranes there for Blue Horizons when it was opening. But uh, when I first started working with them, Robert, the guy I've spoken about a few times, he pranked me and told me that the birds were afraid of spray millet, which is a little kind of enrichment uh, uh, piece of vegetation you can put in. They'll pick at it. He told me they're afraid of it. So if they come mess with you, if you just put that in around your belt like a hula skirt, it'll freak them out and they won't mess with you. You can clean in there all day long and they won't peck at you. So stupidly, I believed him. I made a hula skirt of this look like reeds out of my pants. And I walked in there and in the morning, Joseph, those crown cranes didn't mess with me. They stayed away. They're like, no, I'm not getting rid of that guy. But when I tried in the afternoon, they were like, okay, what's this idiot doing? And they walked over and I had one crane jump on the lower part of my back and then start pecking at the spray millet, which I had now advanced to like wearing it like on my shoulders. So he's pecking the back of my neck and my head. Meanwhile, Robert's just rolling out the hallway laughing because I, the prank worked. He didn't think it would work the first time, but the prank worked the second time. So that's my crown crane funny story. Never horse around at work, but you know sometimes it's okay. Right. I hear you. Um, any other advice that you would like to leave our listeners here? Stay positive. Don't fall into the negative rut. That is social media. That is your frustrated friends at other facilities. Stay positive. Remember that there's only one person 
holding you back. And that's you. You're the only person in your way. You might think it's your boss. You might think it's your coworkers. You might think it's the system. It's you. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to critically take a step back and understand that you are in control of your destiny. Uh, there was a, a story that I was told to by a former leader of mine, who's a great dear friend, retired now. Um, but he told me of a guy that was training to uh, look for Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. And the way they were training these guys was they would have them climb up a cliff face in Nevada. And one of the SEAL team members was terrified of heights. So they would have them trained by carrying their guns and their gunny sacks up these, uh, these 300 foot rock faces. Well, a hundred feet off the ground, the guy stops, he panics, he freaks out. He freezes in place. He's afraid of heights and he looks down and it's a hundred feet to the ground. And he looks up and it's 200 more feet to climb before he's complete. And he's frozen in fear. And his instructor comes scaling down the mountain like a billy goat. And his instructor, his instructor hardly had a rope on. He's shirtless, he's shoeless, he's an old hippie man with a bandana and a ponytail. And he looks at the soldier and he goes, Hey man, what's going on? And the the soldier says, I can't, I can't go up. It's too high and I can't go down. It's too far down. I'm stuck. I can't, I don't, I don't even know where to grab. He's panicking. And the instructor says, Whoa, 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 whoa. Just take it easy. Control what's in your three-foot zone. What can you affect right now? The guy's like, what do you mean, what can I affect? I can't affect anything. Yes, you can. What can you affect right now? He looks around. There's one little rock hole. He goes, well, I can grab here. And the instructor said, well, then do it. Guy grabs. I can put my foot here. Then do it. And by the end of it, he learned that we look too far ahead and too far behind at what we can't control. If we can control the things right around us, we can set ourselves up for success in the future. So I tell you this. Don't worry about what's outside your three-foot zone, the things you can't reach and affect. You can affect your attitude. You can affect your work ethic. You can affect how punctual you are if you're on time. You can affect your words. You can affect the way you accept feedback. You can affect the way you give feedback. These are things you can affect. What you cannot affect, the things outside of your three-foot zone are your coworkers' attitudes, their words, their timing, their standards. You can bring that up to your leadership because as a new person, your plate is this big. As you gain responsibility, your plate grows and grows. And at the time, now the level I'm at, the salaried leader here at the Abilene Zoo, my plate's pretty big. It's full of a lot of sections, but I've learned over the years how to manage my portions and I can manage all the little sections of my plate. That's not for you that are starting out. Don't worry about everyone else's section. Worry about your plate and what the responsibilities you've been given and affect your three-foot zone. Be persistent, be flexible, and above all else, just be kind to one another. This field can be stressful. You're working outside with animals that don't know how to communicate back with you. There are limited jobs, facilities that are limited, and you know, their standards are changing. 
as a young person today, you're in a, in a world where the zoological world is evolving. A lot of it is fueled by misinformation and a lot of it is fueled uh, by social media. Be the change, be a good example, uh, because we are laying the foundation for a fantastic zoological future for you. It's gonna be your job to get those positions and continue to run with the torch. Be confident and don't be afraid to try something new. It will pay off. Here's almost 20 years down the line. I promise it pays off. Trust That's my, me, I'll be, I'll be ready. I bet you will be. You're making good strides, my friend. And yes, I'll definitely invite you out to have and invite you to be uh, part of a demonstration out here. Oh, I would love to do that. I'd love to come out to California and uh, and and talk West Coast. Yes. West Coast, West Coast. <laughs> and one of these days I'm coming out there. Oh, gosh, I can't wait to have you guys here in Texas. You come visit. I've got a macho, the rhino. He's a black rhinoceros here at the zoo. He's the world's largest puppy dog. He lets you rub all over him and feed him. We do great tours with him. We've got a nice large herd of giraffe. Um, and this zoo is currently only 16 acres. But I got a spoiler alert. We're about to grow. And by the time we're done growing, we could be well over 60 acres of zoo, which oh, wow. puts us larger than a lot of the facilities already established here in Texas that you probably follow on social media. We will be uh, bigger than them. And we're going to try to try to become a world-class organization that people travel uh, to and to visit. That's going to take time, but life is not a race. It's a marathon. So uh, I'm well-stretched and hydrated and I'm ready to do this. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you. Good luck, everyone, on your roadmap to zookeeping. Enjoy the rest of your day and don't work too hard out there. Oh, I'll try. I'll try. It's impossible, but I'll try. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was a great interview, Clay and Joseph. Thank you for that interview, Clay. And uh, I hope to eventually visit the Abilene Zoo one of these days. What do you think about that, Sheldon? Absolutely. Uh, there's many different zoos and aquariums I want to visit and see different things. Um, even in my own place and where I'm at in Bush Gardens, I definitely love exploring and seeing how different um, teams do different stuff uh, with animals, behaviors, shifts, educating the public, all kind of things. Because again, we're all learning and seeing that new stuff is definitely exciting for sure. But it was a very good interview. Uh, we thank you for your time and definitely talking with us. Sure, that'll help out um, us and listeners out there who are, again, on this path, this journey, this road trip <laughs> yes it will definitely help a lot especially for our next episode that I'm not going to give away too much but that's definitely going to help our viewers as well wait and see wait and see yes but for now we do hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast and 
Stay tuned for our next episode. Yeah, it's coming soon to a device near to, you, I guess. <laughs> to a device or iTunes or YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from. So stay tuned. What he said. And don't forget to follow us on every form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, the Facebook, Facebook. Snapchat. Who uses Snapchat anymore? A lot of people use Snapchat. But yes, stay tuned and have a good night, everyone. Take care, everyone. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more tips and tricks on how to become zookeepers with Joseph and Sheldon. See you guys next time.